0: So today, my uh, guest to my podcast is one of my oldest friends and a uni colleague, one of the smartest people that I know around me. I'd love to surround myself by smart people so I can actually <laughs> upgrade my brain, as they say, like in video games terms. Um, he, has started, he has started his uh, degree in university in finance and then continued to get his master's multi-talented person like you have no idea. Please welcome Hussein Atlassi. Uh
1: Well, hello Anas. Uh, I would also like to extend my greetings to your audience. Uh, firstly, I would like to have to thank you for inviting me to your uh, to your podcast. I'm honored to be your first guest. Uh, you say a very lot of good things about me and uh I should point out that uh, you yourself are not short sure of good virtues. Uh, thank, mean,
0: you <laughs> you. thank you very much. Thank you very much. The way I looked at it is that I was like, listen, I have benefited, benefited from you like in, in so many ways, on so many intellectual levels. So I was like, listen, it, it would be really greedy not to share it with people. And uh, I, I would like to tap on a topic that was, uh, as they say, as a small Uh, personal monster, uh, which was kind of contradicting because I was always a fan of computers, uh, hardware, software, and video games, but sort of I grew a small fear from programming. I don't know. I always used to see it like as a weird alien language until we had so many talks and you were able to help me uh, get my first steps into programming. Now, many people, um, and I am one of them, did not really grasp on the idea of how important uh, programming uh, is and how, how it uh, taps into so many uh, parts in our lives. So in this episode, I wanted to get your help with us to, to be able to share your point on it, your take on it, and you have the microphone. Uh,
1: thank you very much. Uh, I'm glad to be of help. Uh, to my friends, uh, especially programming is a topic that I've been long interested in. Uh, I was very much uh, involved with computers, both hardware and software, even before I went to university, but I was never at a level that I could program. But I did start working with computers just at at, at an early age, because I was curious and my dad put me behind a computer and the curiosity just grew from there on and it never stopped. Uh, Essentially, the thing with programming is saying that it's everywhere is an understatement. Uh, Some people tend to think of, oh, this guy's a programmer. He must be designing uh, rockets for NASA
0: that's although it may be true for some people it's not- so you, you have to give the credit to Hollywood that they always show the hackers and the programmers uh, either deep in the basement or their multi-billion dollar industries and they're always tapping the keyboard in a very fast uh, manner and just <laughs> things on the screen. and I'm like that has totally nothing to do with programming so <laughs> the moment yeah. you dig into this world you understand that Zero of what shows on TV is what's reflected in reality. Uh, to be honest with you, that applies to any sort of
1: uh, industry that you look at. If Even if they start showing accountants on TV, what they show on TV and what happens in real life will be different. So programmers are not uh, excluded from those groups of people who are exaggerated on uh, television and in entertainment. Uh, so that that's sort of what happened.
0: If uh, Hussein, if you'd be able to help us and give us like a small examples of things that um, uh, for the naked eye of the normal user, they don't know that actually programming is the core of it in our daily lives, as an example.
1: Uh, traffic lights, to be honest with you, there is literally a box. Every time you have a, an intersection where you have cars coming in from like three different directions, There is a box in the corner of that intersection that's uh, hosting the program that the traffic lights are based on. And you can start paying attention to it uh, next time you're at an intersection. Start looking for a box at the corner of the intersection. And that's the box that controls which lights go on and which lights uh, go red or green at the set intervals that's decided by the management system. So it's there, it's right so to, there in front of your
0: eyes. To down, yeah, to, to break this down in a more uh, easier uh, to the ear, <laughs> let's say, <laughs> a type of explanation. No, so, uh, because I, I had this, uh, um, let's say, wrong idea before. I used to think that, yes, it is a program, obviously, but it's sort of like timer. So in the uh, rush hours, it will be 20 seconds each. In the normal hours, it will be 30 seconds each. So it's a preset thing. But the more uh, you were able to explain to me that now with the advancement of uh, the software, the hardware, the AI, being able to put sensors uh, in the street, uh, not only on the intersection, even the roads leading to the intersection so that the computer or the brain or the programming of the intersection would understand the traffic before it actually reaches and it would adapt the traffic lights to behave in a way
1: Well, uh, that's a very good point. Essentially, every time you have a system, like the traffic system, which needs to increase, uh, basically the old system would just have a set timer where cars would come and go as per that timer. But then now you need to control that a bit to make sure it... uh, adapts itself to the timeline of the day. So you can send one person there to figure that out and adapt that intersection to the rush hours. But then you scale that, you see suddenly a city might have about a thousand intersections. It would not be cost efficient to have, uh, to send a thousand people to check all of these intersections to adapt each one of these to the rush hours. Essentially, what you get is a small team of 10 people who come in, who come to you with a proposal and uh, say, listen, we'll write this program for you. This program is going to evaluate the number of cars on the, on the road at any point in time. And it's going to look at this day all the way back to what it was for a week, for a month, even for a year. And then we'll Put it all in the system, and it's to adapt itself for traffic coming from which direction. And the next, have it, an intersection. They want to essentially build an intersection. They just put a machine there that learns how to adapt itself. It's uh, reducing a lot of the costs increasing the benefits both for the city and the citizens of that city who use a traffic system.
0: Perfect, perfect. Now, this has striked uh, three, actually, beautiful topics that I like, which is data, machine learning, and AI. But we we will dig, this is, I would say, another tier, another topic for another uh, in-depth talk later on, uh, I, I just want to still stay in the on the shore of uh, uh, programming, as we say. Now, I, I would say we have drawn uh, a clear picture of how programming can be seen, and we have only brought a small example. Now, we would come to the obvious examples of whether the software is on our computers, on our mobile phones, the applications, the games, even making a game itself, is a sort. Of it's, it's programming, basically. It's programming. Um, now, if, if we would move on a step forward, uh, and you would explain to us more about the programming languages in a simple, simplified way that are commonly being used right now, and for the common user, someone like me, who would uh, want to uh, benefit from these programming languages, which way should he uh, should he um, uh, head uh, towards? Like, which programming language? and how it would be able to benefit him.
1: Sure, of course, I will have to reiterate that my knowledge of the programming world comes from self-research and not from uh, academic education as uh, most computer scientists uh, might come from an academic education. They might have a different perspective than I do, but I can explain my perspective from a non-programmer, someone who started as a non-programmer, which might benefit a lot more people uh, than if I were to explain the same thing from a computer science perspective. It's essentially, what we can summarize all of these as uh, languages come in different flavors, as many flavors as you can imagine. Uh, there are some languages which are easy for the user they're meant to be easy for the programmer to write uh, the most complicated program in the least number of codes number of lines of code as possible and there are uh, there are programming languages that are the opposite of that which are very difficult for the programmers to create they require a large number of uh, coding hours, many lines of codes, magnitudes of lines of codes more than others. Uh, but someone might ask, what, why would someone go for that? Well, essentially, uh, these would range on uh, a spectrum of high level and low level programming languages. A high level programming language is something that's easy for the programmer. Uh, one of the most famous uh, ones is Python. It's one of the. It's actually been going on a very good growth trend recently, uh, it actually provides a lot of capabilities to the user. Something on a low level spectrum would be C or C++. That's on a mid to low level, that's not very low level, but it's like on a mid to low level spectrum. The reason those languages are still, they still exist and they're still being used is because of the control they provide to the user. If you're talking about applications uh, that are life critical or time critical, let's say you're looking at uh, softwares that are being used in a hospital you will not use Python on those because Python by its nature will be slower because it does a lot of things automatically in the background to make it easier for the programmer. But something like C language makes it harder for the programmer, makes sure there are less things running in the background. And by giving that level of control to the programmer, the programmer can make sure it's suitable for a life-critical application.
0: Beautiful, beautiful answer. Now, uh, I, um, for our listeners, uh, I, we had to go through this primer for you to have it in the back of your head. Now, um, the, way, the way I would understand things is by examples. So I'm just going to give you a small example here. Uh, in in my previous job and even in Hussein's previous job, uh, we were obviously since both of us comes from a, from a financial background. Uh, our job was related to finance in the company as core as it can get, whether it was sales or in uh, planning. So when you talk about finance, you talk about money. So that's that's where all, we are the most important people in the company dealing with money. Your number one priority. So. Uh, regardless what sort of job, whether in you're an accountant uh, planning finance, so on and so forth, you would be using the most infamous program, which is excel. Now, I used to think that Excel is just a normal program by Microsoft, and they would like just build tables and help you arrange things. The deeper I got into excel and i would I would admit that i 'm on a high intermediate level um, in in Excel and I was able to create formulas and be able to crunch in big data. And then I came to understand the importance of it. And even my responsibilities started growing by that. So I'll give a small example. where I was handling the budget um, for all five GCC countries and it was above $25 million dollars real money, $25 million, like no joke, and it was all under my hand. Now, uh, tracking those numbers was not the challenge. The challenge was being able to manipulate, crunch those numbers, be able to uh, do analysis, do studies in terms of operation, in terms of um, being more efficient and doing efficiency studies etc cetera, etc cetera. and the same thing happens with hussein uh, where he he would be sharing now the stories that he was he was uh, working with accounting systems and working with excel sheets and because he had the knowledge of programming he was able to do tremendous work so please share with us uh, the stories that you used to tell me uh, about uh, the dealing with big data at work
1: uh, sure yeah i mean Uh, First of all, when you describe Excel as being infamous, I think that's a very correct word for it. Uh, Excel is one of the most popular applications out there. But uh, you sort of start to realize its shortcomings when you start working with data. That's something that might have been accumulated over a year. And suddenly, uh, you're talking about Hundred thousand rows of data. Now, a hundred thousand rows of data will start to show how Excel is not suitable for that data size. Now, of course, at the same time, we, we're talking about this. Someone in Microsoft uh, could be working on a big data module for Excel. So, there's nothing to say that in the future uh, Excel will not cope with it, or Excel is the most useless. Uh, Uh, software we're not saying that we're just saying for the applications that we had we did not find it suitable and for me uh, for the company I was working for uh, I wanted to analyze one year of sales data and I was honestly looking at 3 million rows at that point uh, I think if you go to Excel and you hold the control button and you press the down arrow it will go to the end of Excel that's the maximum number of roles that Excel can handle. And you can see that number is 1 million, which is significantly lower than 3 million. So suddenly there's a challenge out there that the software that you're looking at is completely uh, not aligned with the number, with the amount of data that you're looking at. So that's one of the reasons I started looking at alternatives. At the same time, I was trying to figure out how to automate some of my uh, routine jobs. And while at the same time, I was studying in university. So I had like two or three different experiences happening at the same time. And for each of them, I was individually looking for a solution. Uh, For example, in university itself, uh, we had just taken an econometrics course where they were talking about uh advanced statistics using multiple variables to make predictions and it was just part of the normal uh master's degree in finance one of the things that the professor said while we were finishing that course was that go out there find a language learn it maybe it's just a statistical language maybe it's a general language but find a language and learn it because it will serve you for the rest of your life. So that's one of the reasons I started looking for something from a university perspective, to see which language is good. And at the same time, I'm looking at my job and I'm trying to figure out a way to tell my boss that I can do better, I can do it more efficiently and faster All of this puts me into this path to try to research the different programming languages that are out there. And uh, I came out with Python and I started learning Python. And the reason that one of the reasons I chose Python was that it was easy. Another reason was that uh, it had so many libraries that were created by the open-source community, essentially by programmers out there who want to give something back to the community of programmers that are looking for these tools. And there were so many of these libraries, and a libraries like a module that you can attach to your own program. It's like a pre-built script, and you can just insert it into your own program and run it and there were so many of these out there meant for data analysis and data crunching that it just blew my mind suddenly, taking out three million rows of data, filtering it, analyzing it, crunching it, spitting out graphs was a matter of work that would only take forty five seconds
0: just just for the for the people who are listening, when we say forty five seconds for an operation that used to take close to a month of a team to accomplish i'm not trying to to boast my friend here and show him that he's superman but i am just trying to draw a picture of how efficient the system is so those cycles what he was talking about the routine jobs those uh, payment cycles let's say it's every 30 days or the fiscal year or the quarter whatever you want to call it or However, it goes. It goes on a monthly basis, quarterly basis, half-year basis, and a yearly basis. So the the monthly uh, uh, what do you call it the uh, procedure used to take a whole month of a team of sometimes three to four to five people. And as an example, the department that Hussein was in. So I'm I'm not trying to bash those people and say Hussein is better, but I'm just trying to show you that with technology and and having that sort of booster on it. It went down to forty-five seconds. Like this is less than a minute. This is like one sixth of a song. Even like just to show you how how critical can this be. And if I would take an example from my uh, previous job, also, uh, so it was split into sales uh, and uh, financing and planning at the same time. So um, I was given access to all sort of data. And it's it's a multi-billion dollar um, technology company. Now, I'm, I'm not really aware of legalities. That's why I'm avoiding mentioning names. But it's like, let's say, it's the second name that comes to you after the truth company. So it's that obvious. Anyway, so I, I, was, I was granted access to all of these data. And when I started applying, and mind you, I don't know programming. So just... Just going level one by going a bit advanced in, in Excel and being able to create formulas, pivot tables, uh, conditions, F statements, and be able to mix all of those together. So I, I made a, a panel or a dashboard where with a click of a button, I can just simply switch countries. With a click of a button, I can check the demand, the supply, the stocks on hand, the payments due. That pay, the money that we owe people, the money that people owe us, and when I came and showed it to my boss, and he said, "So who who was helping you out?" I was like, "Well, I did lots of overtime, but I, I was doing it basically on my own." And since he was, and I have to give it to him, he's such a great mentor. My ex boss, he, he's he's the most genius person, and he showed me all the the way to go uh, about in Excel. And he told me honestly, "This is beautiful." Like he used to request this from a certain team of five in the company and they used to give him a file, which was way less sophisticated than this on a span of a quarter. I'm like, it took them 90 days, a team of like dedicated people to do this. Now, probably the methods that they were using were a bit old. Probably they were lazy. Probably they were busy with other things. But today, if if you want to look at it, look at it to your own benefit, whether you're running your own business or you are in a job. So, Somebody like Hussein, if he sees that something that will take him twenty four days day in day out, punching in, punching out, working on with endless number of uh, rows while he can program a sort of small software sort of speak and and don't don't let it feel heavy on your chest because what he pointed out is extremely important, the online community of programmers is massive like. You can't imagine how big this community is. And they try their best to make everything available online and for free. Because, because the way they look at it is that they want to help people. So they would offer you, like let's say, 80%, 90% uh, the program is done and you'd be able to modify it. If you run into issues, you can also post it on the forums and they would be able to jump in and help you out. So that's that's about it in terms to putting an example of um, programming, how it can come into your life. And that would make me move to point uh, number three, data and the importance of data. Now, yes, we did tap into it in the previous point, but uh, I would like to take a step a bit deeper and just to try to... Um, Close, draw a clear picture today I'm drawing so many pictures <laughs> probably because it's a podcast and I can't use any video aid so just close your eyes and try to imagine it with me here uh, the importance of data today I'm going to take a small example of a supermarket and then I'm going to take the help of Hussein. so today I'm going to take an example of a supermarket who's having almost 100,000 sales per month, very small supermarket so you're talking about 1.2 million uh, transactions happening per year. So I came, I'm the supermarket owner, and I came to somebody like Hussein, and I said, listen, I have all these data. What do you suggest I can do with it, and how can I benefit from it? Now, yes, the 1.2 million transaction happened. I did sold, sell the merchandise. I did make my money. Now I have this data. What can I do with it?
1: So, uh, I mean, the answer to that question is a very long essay, but I'll simplify it as, as uh, much as possible. Uh, let, let's categorize it. One of the things that you can do is uh, demand prediction. You can try to see if there is any seasonality to your demands. If there is any external factors that will affect the demand of a certain uh, product, Perfect example would be that in summer, the demand for ice cream will go up. And in the winter, the demand for coffee and tea might go up. So that's the very very basic example that you can give for people to understand. Uh, You can take that a step further and you can uh, talk about logistics management and supply chain management. Because if you know... Uh, when you're going to run out of a product, you know that when you should order the product so it arrives perfectly in time so that you would uh, spend the least amount of time storing it and uh, spending money on the warehousing and storage of this product. Uh, If we take it a step further towards the business side of it. Someone who is doing marketing can look at this data and see whether there is any room for increasing or decreasing the price. So, if you have a specific product that keeps running out and you keep running out of stock for it, you have the option of increasing your stock uh, quantity that you keep, or you also have the option of increasing the price that we choose sell it at. If you have something else that's uh, taking a much longer time to be, uh, to be exhausted, you can make a business decision on whether you want to spend less money storing it or you want to make it cheaper so it gets off your shelves fast.
0: So that's just three beautiful, basic examples beautiful for example. you. Beautiful examples. Now, I, I just want to put things into perspective. So I gave you this and I love the example of ice cream and coffee and uh, how long does it stay on the shelf? Because for people who are not familiar with the supermarket business or hypermarkets or whatever, everything costs money. If it stays on the shelf too long, it costs money. If it stays in the warehouse for too long, it costs money. If it stays a bit longer then it 's supposed to stay it might there is a very good chance if especially if it was from food products, it might be close to expiry dates or it would be expired. so this is a total loss um, uh, price sensitivity is an extremely big topic on its own. So he was not joking when he said it's an essay because every single answer is a study on its own because think about it this way. Supermarkets are all over the country. You're not selling anything unique, but you're selling it in high volumes because people use it every day. Every day, people need to eat. Every day, they need to buy diapers. Every day, they need to buy water. They need to buy coffee. It's the necessities of life. But it comes on the other side of it, or it's a double-edged sword, where the other side would be everybody is listing or offering the same products. So to put things into perspective, I gave Hussein all this data, and he was able to have a program, uh, uh, a code that he made, or a small program that can crunch in the numbers. If we would clock it or stopwatch it, you punch in those 1.2 million transactions and you wanted to know the demand and supply for coffee, seasonality and ice cream. How long do you think it will take?:
1: uh, If I put it in an algorithm that says, "Give me the demand for these?": Yes. How many seconds, how many minutes, how many hours it to take? I mean, honestly, graphing these if you have the right raw data. To be honest with you, whenever you talk about data analysis, cleaning your data is the one that takes the most amount of time. But let's assume that the data is clean and we have proper categories for each one. And you have a graphing algorithm ready, which is a normal thing. Most of these uh, visualization libraries are ready out there for you to just input your data. You take that 1.2 million rows and you put it in there and you say for each category, give me one graph that shows throughout the year how the demand changes. I would expect that you would get your graph for each category in less than five minutes altogether.
0: Nice. Nice. Five nice. minutes is a no. long time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm assuming you're using a very basic normal home computer. You're not running some pretty decent hardware but yeah you're taking your is- laptops <laughs> yeah yeah it's a fair number let's say five minutes now now keep in mind uh, the points that you mentioned are extremely beautiful and crucial that yes cleaning the data is one thing so you, you need to understand as a business owner you're gonna go through a trial and uh, trial and error period, where where you would say, okay, I need this information. I don't need this information. Uh, Probably speak to the programmers where you need to fix this, do this, do that. But listen, once you have it up and ready, no matter how big the data that you keep on getting, you can just simply start dumping it there. And to my knowledge, like this was a huge shocker for me once I started dealing with those retailers. I used to think they make money off selling products. I used to think they used to make big money from selling, um, you know, like when you go to the shelf, the shelf placement where your product is, uh, it, there are obviously a pricing scheme to it. And I thought they make money out of that. I thought they make money out of promotions or discounts. Bro, you can take all of this, all of this business, trash it to zero. And the amount of money they make out of data is beyond like my brain couldn't actually comprehend the amount of money and i'm gonna try to explain myself here think about it this way if i sell you a price for shelf placement i have built a shelf in space in a rental area and i sold you a space yeah so i have a cost and you paid me money same thing goes with promotions etc etc now when you're talking about data this data is in the air it costs zero. You're simply downloading a file from your accounting system. It's costing you nothing, only moving your finger. All right? And they are able to sell it to those big retailers. And even to any customer, you can just walk into any big chain today and, and be able to request this data, and, and they have a certain pricing scheme. Now, those those uh, the competition became so fierce that they buy the data weekly. Imagine 52 weeks, they buy 52 weeks, week-by-week week data. They don't wait the end, until the end of the quarter or until the end of the month. They don't have that, imo- that much time. They buy it weekly, and they analyze it weekly. So small examples, not to dig so deep into it and get lost, but small beautiful examples that you said, demand and supply for ice cream or coffee or uh, also, also you mentioned uh, uh, an important thing, which is logistics. So, yes, I would start selling this item at the beginning of the month. But if it arrives six days earlier or seven days earlier, it will just stay in the warehouse and occupy a space that I would have been utilizing it for something else. So shaving off all those small uh, things uh, that might cost you and it will obviously maximize your profit. Um, This is a basic lesson in economics, not to stray away from topic is that they take uh, three scenarios. Scenario number one is you uh, is you have an average price product and you sell it in a high price and you have a high price product and you sell it in a very, very, very high price and you have a low price product and you sell it in an average price. And always in terms of profitability, the lower the cost, the higher your profit. Even if you're selling a very expensive diamond watch, but it cost you too much money, yes, you would make money, but it would it wouldn't be the same as this example where like the data is costing you zero, and it's literally one hundred percent profit. That is you true
1: still with me. Yes, I'm so that that is true, and uh, I like to point out something for you. Uh, we're talking about. Uh, when you say 1.2 million rows, that's in, uh, in the industry of data analysis and programming. 1.2 million rows is not really considered big data. In fact, they would call it small data. And the way they would measure that is based on a basic logic. If you can, if the size of the data is less than the size of your RAM, it's small data. If it's more than the size of your RAM and it's less than the size of your hard drive, it's medium-sized data. And if it's bigger than the size of your hard drive, then that's something you can call big data. And how can it get bigger than the size of your RAM? How much data do you think you're going to collect? You know, That's the sort of thing that an average person might imagine. But uh, If you're talking about a supermarket, maybe not a lot, but look at a different industry. Look at the airline industry. Uh, Yes, they have data on the number of people they uh, sell the tickets to, but they would collect massive amounts of data on airline diagnostics as it flies, as the airplane flies through the air. So we're talking about uh, some very large hard drives that are being kept on an airplane, uh, which record everything that's happening in the airplane as a whole, and everything uh, that's uh, happening in the cockpit, everything that, every button that the pilot press, every noise that comes out of a cockpit, every movement, every sensor, everything. And that's one of the things uh, that people look at when they look at the black box. They want to see what happened to it. So going back to your question of uh, saving money, well, it's becoming a common known fact that uh, among the large enterprises, maybe not everyone, but all the large enterprises know that data is the key to having better business, having better customer service, having safer products, having uh, better customer churn, customers coming back uh, to buy your product again and again. Data is becoming uh, so valuable that, as you said, people are willing to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for it.
0: One small thing I can end um, today's episode on. Uh, I will assume you're a business owner. And I will ask you a question. Would you rather spend a big sum of money to advertise to one million customers, just like mass media, and probably uh, get, uh, let's say, mm, 1% 1% maybe, okay, of customers, or maybe less than 1%, that conversion rate, like real people will come and buy your thing. Or would you rather spend less money to target a 1,000 customers that maybe 900 of them would buy your product? Now, for the common person, he would say, oh, from 1, 1 million, 1% is 10,000. Well, I would tell him, listen, your conversion rate is extremely low. I would rather, as a business, have a high conversion rate because when my targeting, yes, 900 people probably came into my store and bought, but my targeting to my audience is so accurate. I'm delivering the right message to the right people. You agree? Uh, I agree 100%.
1: I think that's one of the... Uh, one of the f- in- industries that has gained momentum after the data revolutions of the 21st century, I think targeted advertising will become uh, more and more common and uh, it will grow at a significant degree beyond what it already has. I mean, whatever you're using right now, it takes your data. If you're using Facebook, uh, if you're using Google, Google is one of the leaders of uh, data collection in the world. No one collects data as much as Google, regardless of what you heard about Facebook. Google has magnitudes more data on you than Facebook. And that is the revenue point, targeted advertisement. Don't look at anything else that Google does. Google collects your data And that's how they became a gazillionaire, essentially, by targeted advertisements. And their customers are happy. Uh, There's no argument against that. Targeted advertisements to the right people at the right time has the highest possible conversion rate, and it's always worth the price.
0: Nice, nice, nice. I, I highly, highly, highly thank you. I don't know if highly is the right word, but uh, I thank you so much. Okay. That, it's, that's right. At the nice. end of the day, I, I had a long day today, so I'm, I'm running low on my energy, genuinely speaking. Hussein, Hussain, one of the smartest people around me. And whenever you know I run into a problem, this is something personal. Whenever I run into a problem, whether in Excel, programming, work, uh, efficiency, I take a step back and I go like, hmm how would Hussein tackle this? You know, he would always find the corner to cut or, you know, a couple of seconds to shave it off or uh, excess weight that you don't need. I really thank you. Hussein, is talking to us all the way from Turkey. Uh, thanks to Anchor App for offering me the service that I'm able, first of all, to connect with him, catch up and be able to share uh, our usual conversations, by the way. Usually it gets much deeper than this. So, uh, agreement to them that it will be a casual conversation but we would be aiming to share the knowledge uh, with everyone and uh, we hope that you have benefited from it
1: uh, thank you very much for having me on your podcast Anas. And it was nice uh, speaking to you again as always and
0: I wish you and your audience the best of luck Habibi we, we will be hosting you more in the future <laughs> so so you would be uh, definitely joining us again Thank you very much, yeah, it. take
1: it yeah, take it.